Ladies and gentlemen, this evening's performance of The Diz Explorers will begin in two minutes. Excellent listening locations are still available all around Showcase Promenade. Due to the use of alcohol and opinions round the lagoon, for your safety, we request that you remain on the promenade side of all railings. During the show, please watch your step and take small children firmly by the hand. Once again, this evening's performance of The Diz Explorers will begin in just two minutes. Thank you. and welcome to another Diz Explorers movie sode. I'm Jessica, and today I want to talk about a lesser-known or forgotten Disney movie that was actually one of my favorites growing up, and that is The Fox and the Hound. And what I'd like to do is look back at the production and development process for this film, because even though it's somewhat forgotten now, it actually involved some of the most famous Disney animators of all time, um, from different generations, which is really cool and very unique. Um, and then I'll talk a little bit about why I think this movie has been forgotten, despite its pos positive critical reception and, of course, the all-star team behind producing it, um, which seems kind of surprising. So, The Fox and the Hound is based on a novel of the same name, um, and someone named Wolfgang Retherman who is a longtime leading Disney animator and director of classics like 101 Dalmatians and The Jungle Book, read the novel and just immediately thought, okay, this would make for a great animation, a perfect Disney movie. And an interesting fact is that he felt personally connected to the story since his sons actually had a pet fox when they were children. So he thought, okay, if my kids felt the strong connection to a fox, that surely a Disney audience full of children would also feel that connection um, to the character on the screen. So he teamed up with some Disney legends in their own right, Art Stevens and Ron Miller, who were already working at the studio, and production officially began in 1977. But translating the fox and the hound from page to screen was not as easy or straightforward as Rutherman thought. Um, if you've ever seen The Fox and the Hound, it's actually a really depressing story. And there are dark themes of abandonment, revenge, and what I think is a not-so-happy ending, with, spoiler alert, um, with the main characters kind of realizing that they're never going to be able to be together as friends in harmony, and it's just never going to work. Um, and they kind of go their separate ways. So it's really not an obvious choice for a Disney movie when you start thinking about the details behind it. Um, so it's not really that much of a surprise when you start thinking about the content that conflict would start sprouting up in the studio. Rutherman, who is the guy whose who sons had a pet fox, he worried that the film was too dark, uh, understandably, um, and he tried to add a musical number to kind of lighten things up. And this had cranes, the, the bird, dancing, and these were voiced by Phil Harris and Charo. And other members of the production saw, and I'm not clear if it was an animated sequence or just test footage with Charo, 
Um, I couldn't find any details anywhere on this, but he saw they saw some kind of sample of what it would be like. Um, and the production team hated it, saying, rightfully so, that it made absolutely no sense with the tone of the rest of the movie. It felt forced. It felt out of place. It was a clear attempt to lighten it up and it just didn't work. But the conflict in the production really went beyond disagreements over one particular scene or another. Um, Rutherman started complaining that the younger animators kept winning all these arguments with the studio heads, and he eventually came to the conclusion that his age was actually inhibiting his ability to contribute to the project. And so it was this interesting spark of... I, I wouldn't go so far as to say ageism, because there wasn't... Um, a clear-cut technical situation of young people dominating old people, kicking them out, excluding them in a traditional ageism sense. But there was this clear shift where the studio was siding, in Rutherman's view, with the younger animators. And it got so bad that he eventually quit the production, which, of course, he started. So that was a very big change for the, the tone of, of the production team. Um, and he moved on to quieter animation projects and completely stepped down from The Fox and the Hound. But production did not stop with his departure, departure and nor did the clear divide between the younger and older animators. And what I found the most fascinating in doing some research on the production of this film is that The Fox and the Hound was the last Disney animation to involve Walt Disney's nine old men. Um, if you're not familiar, The Nine Old Men is the original core group of Disney animators that basically started the studio from the beginning. They were behind the first big Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, Cinderella, the big, the, the, the animations that put Disney on the map. Um, but all of the old men that were involved in Fox and the Hound retired earlier during production. Um, and then there was this shift of control to basically the next generation. And some of these younger animators included unbelievable names like John Lasseter, Brad Bird, Tim Burton, Chris Buck. All of these people were just some of the team members. There's a huge list. If you look on the Fox and the Hound's IMDb page, you can see the complete list of animators. And it's just absolutely amazing to see the films that these people have done since. So if you think about that for a second... This one movie had the influence of animators behind Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which came out in 1937, and Frozen, which came out in 2013. That's just incredible that over this huge span of time that the same animators worked on one project. I just think, you know, as a Disney nerd myself, that that's just amazing. But anyway, getting a little sidetracked... <laughs> These production shifts and conflicts, ultimately, they, they didn't hinder the film's quality or critical reception. Ultimately, it came together to tell the story in a way that was cohesive and, and made sense and audiences responded to. And both audiences and critics gave The Fox and the Hound pretty positive reviews, and, and it performed decently at the box office. So with all of that in mind, it's kind of a surprise that this huge project with this positive reception would end up being a, a forgotten Disney film, which begs the question, why was it forgotten? And, you know, as I think about this, for me, there seem to be two factors, which would be time period and merchandising. So to address the time period, The Fox and the Hound was released in 1981, which was really the height 
or I guess the the depth of Disney's slump. Disney had kind of this big golden era that's, that happened with the first princesses and Pinocchio and Peter Pan, and all of a sudden it was this household name. But then in the 70s and 80s, it started to recede, and it really wasn't getting that same response. The movies weren't clicking with the audience in the same way. And it really didn't come back to life until The Little Mermaid, which was in 1989. So if you think about 81, that's really when they're just struggling to figure out what they can do to get back on their feet. And this was the last movie before The Black Cauldron came out in 1985, which um, if you go to our Diz Explorers podcast site, you'll find we also have a movie sewed on The Black Cauldron. Um, and you can listen more about that mess um and why that was such a problem for disney but just knowing that the black cauldron cauldron was a problem it makes sense that the fox and the hound kind of was in this struggle period of conflict in the studio and i think that it was in a rough time period where it probably didn't get as fair of a shake as it might have been in a different time period in the studio's history but the the other huge issue i think is merchandising the Fox and the Hound really didn't have any staying power in Disney stores much past its release date in the same way as other animations. And th the characters didn't have much of a presence in the park in the form of face characters or parade floats or even overlays to attractions or, or meet and greet areas or, or anything. And movies like Frozen or Moana, as recent examples, are all of a sudden everywhere which does it drives people nuts but they do that for a reason because you remember them frozen is now four years old and it still hasn't left people's minds and that's by design right and that's the difference between the jungle book for example which is another movie from disney that came out roughly in the same time period um, as the fox and the hound now, the Jungle Book is in Disney stores, it's in Fantasmic, it's on Disney music playlists, on streaming websites. So even though it may not necessarily be number one on Disney's priority list, when you see the merchandising, you remember it. It comes back to you. It stays fresh in your mind. And some of the things that drive us nuts about Disney branding, where you're like, oh, I can't take another second of Frozen, they're designed to drive you crazy because you don't forget. So since The Fox and the Hound is, is one of those Disney movies that no one really talks about, I'd, I'd like to hear your opinion as you listen to my, my ramblings about it. Do you think that it is as depressing as I think it is? Or do you have any thoughts about the merchandising and maybe other reasons why it might be a more forgotten Disney movie? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So you can get in touch with me and the rest of the troopers over at DizExplorers.com. And we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Diz Explorers. So please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you um, and get in touch. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back soon with brand new episodes. Talk to you then.